Well, as Kevin said, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 today uh, because we're in the midst of a series called The Power and Preaching of Jesus. Uh, We've been studying the power and the preaching of Jesus to show that he's worthy of our utmost allegiance. There are good reasons for us to believe in Jesus, to worship Him, to obey Him, to faithfully serve Him and love Him and place our ultimate hope in Him because He is Lord of all. Right now, His glory is veiled, but one day it will be apparent to all. And how wonderful it is for us Christian believers to voluntarily bow our knee and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord because we can be sure that one day every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We want to do our best to represent him here in this present time while there is still time so that we might draw all to trust and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus shows his power in the miracles that he performs. And in this portion of the Gospel of Luke that we've been looking at, he he preaches as well as performs miracles. He teaches and brings a message, a message that we call the Gospel. And when we believe that message, our sins are forgiven and we receive the gift of eternal life. The miracles themselves draw attention to both the messenger and the message. In other words, the miracles serve a purpose. Today we're going to look at two more miracles. Jesus' miracles actually meet the real needs of real people. Uh, Like his other miracles, they're not stunts. Jesus is not showing off. They do demonstrate his lordship, that is, his power and his authority. Last week, Kevin related to us his power and authority over nature when Jesus calmed the winds and the waves in a storm on the Sea of Galilee that frightened even hardened fishermen. Jesus can do that because he's Lord of nature. The universe was created through him, and it currently holds together by the word of his power. The universe, Jesus created it. The heavens and the earth, he sustains it. So when Jesus calms the storm, for him it's really no big deal, but for his disciples, well, their jaws drop. They are amazed. Jesus is Lord over the forces of nature. And he also has authority and power over demons because last week, do you remember the pig incident? It wasn't the Bay of Pigs, but it was the herd of pigs. And they all ran down a steep cliff into the sea because Jesus gave a legion of demons freedom to enter into the pigs. He's Lord over the demonic realm. The demons know who he is and they tremble. They know who's in charge. So whether it's nature or demons, they come under the lordship 
of Jesus Christ. And today there are two more miracles that round out this section of the Gospel of Luke, and they'll show Jesus' power and authority over disease and death. Two miracle stories that we're about to read overlap and intertwine, and this is the only place where this sort of thing occurs in the Gospels. So let's read Luke chapter 8, and we're beginning at uh, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she'd spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And this is the word of the Lord. As we consider this account, there are three main players, the woman, Jairus, Jesus himself, and we're looking on, listening to Luke, the narrator, all have a particular point of view. We'll try to look at it from some different points of view. But as the account begins, Jesus is returning from the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And we're told that the crowd was waiting for him and welcomed him. They were eager to see him. Now, this is quite different from the crowd that was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They couldn't wait for him to leave because you'll remember Jesus had disrupted their lives. He has a way of doing that. Jesus has a way of turning things that are upside down 
right side up. And sometimes people don't like that. We have to remember that the world stands in opposition to the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself said, the world will hate me. And if you line up with him, the world will hate you also. So when Jesus turns right side up things that are upside down and disrupts people's lives, it's not always appreciated. But here, as this account begins, they welcomed him and they were eager to see him. And one man in particular was very eager to see him. As a matter of fact, he was desperate. It was Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, and he fell at his feet because his only child, a 12-year-old daughter, was at the point of death. Would Jesus come and heal her? Apparently so, because he begins to follow him, but the crowd was thick and pressing upon him, and as they were going, a woman with a chronic ailment, a discharge of blood, was also intent on making contact with Jesus. According to other gospel accounts, she had heard about Jesus and she reasoned, if I can just touch his garment, maybe I can be healed. It was worth a try. She tried everything else. Luke gives us some other details. It had been 12 years that she'd suffered with this ailment. It was chronic. She'd spent all that she had. She'd gone to many doctors and no one was able to help her. Maybe Jesus could. And the particular ailment that she had was a nasty one, a discharge of blood. Besides the discomfort, it made her unclean according to Jewish ceremonial law. That meant that she could have no contact with other people. So the disease had isolated her for some 12 years. That's a long time. It was a persistent ailment. That's the thing about chronic illness. It's dogged. It won't go away. Not that her life was in danger, but the quality of her life was affected. And some of you know only too well what this is like. Chronic pain, perhaps, or some long-standing condition that you're afflicted with. And so there are things that you just can't do. There are places that you can't go. And then, along with that, there's the constant temptation to discouragement. When you add to it, as in this woman's case, isolation, it's like a perfect storm of suffering. It just goes on and on and on. It's why the psalmist asked, how long, O Lord, those plaintive words? And the answer just always seems to be, just a little longer, just a little longer. Well, this woman pressed through the crowd and it took some courage for her to go out in public she wasn't supposed to do that but she had a hope however small that Jesus could heal her and so she approached him but she did it from behind and she touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge stopped and she felt in her body 
immediately that she had been healed. And just as immediately, Jesus said, who touched me? Now, Peter said, everyone's pressing in on you. No, no, someone touched me. Power has gone out from me. And the woman didn't know if she was in trouble or not. She wanted to stay hidden, but when she saw that she couldn't, she came out trembling. She fell at his feet. She admitted what she did and explained why she did it and then what happened as a result. Immediate healing. Now this is amazing because Jesus was not fully involved in this healing. He didn't initiate it. His will wasn't active in it. He'd made no conscious decision to heal her that we're aware of. I mean, what an amazing display of power. Jesus had healed her without fully knowing it. You know, we speak of athletes that sometimes get in a zone where they perform almost supernaturally. He said the guy was unconscious. He was draining threes from everywhere. Well, that kind of describes Jesus in this situation. It's like he healed her with one arm tied behind his back. Jesus doesn't rebuke her. Now he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Well, it was her faith in him. Her faith, you see, connected her with him. And so it seems like it was a cause for everybody to rejoice. Uh, but maybe not everybody, because you might recall uh, there's this guy, Jairus, and he might have had another point of view. And we can't be sure because Luke doesn't record any of his words. But it's not hard to imagine he might have been thinking, oh, not now, lady, please. Jesus, triage, my daughter's at the point of death. I mean, lady, you've had this for 12 years. Could you not wait 12 more minutes? I can understand if Jairus might have been a little bit impatient because when the woman is discovered, uh, she comes out, she admits, she explains, she testifies, and we don't know how long all this went on, but I can imagine that Jairus might have been struggling with something we call timing, providential timing. You know, we have a time schedule. We like to see things happen in its proper time. Uh, and when it comes to something urgent, like my daughter at the point of death, it seems like every moment is precious. But Jesus is not in a hurry. You know, I don't know, I, maybe you can tell me, but I can't find any place in the Bible where it says Jesus ran. Do you, do you ever find, no, he, no, he's not in a hurry. He, he listens to her story, and then he tells her her faith has made her well. And then sure enough, as the account goes, while Jesus is in the very act of pronouncing a blessing of benediction upon her, while he is still speaking, a messenger from Jairus' house comes up and says, your daughter is dead. Why trouble you the master any longer? But before Jairus can sink, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. 
And so they continue on and arrive at Jairus' home, but the mourners are weeping. And Jesus says to them, do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. The King James Version says, they laughed him to scorn. And it does raise a question, though. Was this girl really dead? I mean, the messenger said she was. The mourners sure, sure thought that Jesus says she wasn't. Well, you know, Jesus can be cryptic about these things, like he was in the case of Lazarus, you might recall. Uh, but it's likely here that Jesus' words are rhetorical. Because he took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And Luke tells us that her spirit returned to her, and she got up. If her spirit returned, it must have previously departed. And we don't know what the ancient protocols were for determining death, but, but Luke was a, a physician himself, even though he wasn't there. He was familiar with these things. Well, she had died, and Jesus had raised her from the dead. And that, my friends, is the story of the latter part of Luke chapter 8. And so, uh, if you will allow me, I would like to give you some rambling thoughts from an old Christian about these miracles and what we can learn from them. If this is somewhat disjointed, it's because I'm somewhat disjointed. I was thinking this morning, um, when I became a Christian some 50 years ago, um, I was a Jesus freak. That's what they called us. I still am. I think Jesus is more than just all right with me. He is Lord of all. And these miracles show that Jesus is Lord of all. They show that he not only has authority and power, but he also has compassion. Nature and demons are forces from without. Jesus is on top of it. Disease and death are things that hurt us from within. Jesus is Lord of those also. Therefore, he is worthy of our praise, our worship, our love, our hope. As I said, our ultimate allegiance. And the counterpart to Jesus' power and authority in these cases is the faith of those who received these blessings. For the woman with the issue of blood, her faith may have been weak and she may have been timid. But as Jesus said, even a grain of mustard seed side faith can move mountains. And her faith connected her with Jesus. And he's the source of all power and authority. His compassion is on display. The woman was apparently an unimportant person. We don't have her name. We just know that she suffered. And that Jesus, referring to her as daughter, she actually may have been even younger than him. But he cared about her, an unimportant person. And that really covers just about all of us here today. Um, we're unimportant people. But, you know, important people, too, they've got a shot here. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. 
he was prominent. We don't know how important it was to be a ruler of this synagogue. It might have been no more prominent than being the mayor of Hootersville, wherever that is. But he's named, and Jesus had compassion on him. You know, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, not many wise, not many noble, not many powerful are saved. He didn't say not any, he said not many. And the difference between any and many is the letter M. During the time of the Great Awakening, the great evangelist George Whitfield had a patroness. Her name was Selina Hastings, the Countess of Huntingdon. And she was fond of saying because she was actually wise and noble and powerful. She was fond of saying, I was saved by an M. Not many, but hey, not any. So for the three prominent people that are important, wise, and noble that are here today, I got good news for you. Uh, You can also be saved. Jairus may have been prominent, may have been important, but he was still a father and he loved his daughter. Now his faith was tested in a different kind of way. And as I mentioned, it was providential timing. And one of the things that providential timing does is it tests our patience. And this is happening all the time. It might be happening right now. You might be in a hurry to get out of here and you you can't really very easily do that. But in God's providential timing, he has you here in the right place at the right time. It's just that our timing and his timing aren't always the same thing. And so what this does is it tests our patience. It tests our endurance. And this is going on almost all the time in our lives. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews says, you have need of endurance or need of patience so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Right after that, in chapter 11, which is the great chapter on faith in the Bible, the writer of the Hebrews talks about those who died in faith not having received the things that were promised. So, what can we learn from this? Well, God's timing is not our timing. God's not in a hurry. We may be in a hurry. We need to adjust to him. And that adjustment is what we call sanctification. That is going to test our faith and sometimes as in the case of Jairus here, it can be very testing. But isn't it wonderful that Jesus was right there at the right time to keep him from sinking? What did he tell him? Don't fear. Believe. All will be well. Now, There's a caveat to that, Uh, because this is the thing about miracles, and this is the thing about these miracles. Some people think that a passage like this is there to provide us with examples about what we should go and do. Uh, We should be going and healing the sick and raising the dead. And so it's often said that the miracles of Jesus are there as an example. After all, didn't Jesus say, the works that I do you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do? So shouldn't we take this as an incentive for us 
to pray for as many people as we can and do all the works that Jesus did as his disciples? And the answer to that is yes and no. Uh, We need to be selective in this. What this tells us, along with other parts of the Bible, is that we have warrant to pray. As we abide in the vine, we can ask our Father in Jesus' name for whatever we want, and he'll do it. The thing there is, if we are really abiding in the vine, we're going to be matching up nicely with God's will because we're walking in close fellowship with him. So if I'm asking God for a Mercedes Benz, I might not get an answer to that prayer. Then again, I might. I don't know. If I'm praying for healing, that might help. I have prayed for people with chronic ailments and seen them recover. It's because of God's power and their faith. But we can pray and we can ask for those things. Well, great then. We should do that all the time. And we should as we're led by the Holy Spirit. We should pray and we should ask God for whatever he leads us to pray for. But I'd like to point out that the woman who was healed from this issue of blood presumably grew old and died. And this little girl raised from the dead, again, didn't stay little. She presumably grew old and died. And so the miracles, they're not an end in themselves. Please notice this. The miracles draw attention to the message and the messenger. And the message of the gospel provides us with something called eternal life and an eternal inheritance. So if we follow and believe him, we end up with this tremendous gift which carries us past this mortal life into eternal life forever and ever where nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. So the miracles are not an end in themselves. They're pointers. We have warrant to pray. But if we're expecting that heaven is going to come down and fully engulf us right here and now, we're not reading the whole Bible. The miracles, the healings point to Jesus. And Jesus is the substance of the matter. I said there is an inheritance that is promised us. We have that inheritance right now in promised form. We have that inheritance in a real form in the down payment that the Holy Spirit is. When a person is born again and follows Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee, the down payment, that the full inheritance will one day be enjoyed by us. Peter tells us that that full inheritance right now is being kept for us in heaven. It's imperishable. It's incorruptible. It will not fade away, but it's not yet fully ours. Right now, my Christian brother and sister, your body is actually a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I like to remind my friends that are suffering right now that 
even in your suffering mortal body, the Holy Spirit has taken up reference, uh, residence. And, and not only that, but you are spiritually in union with Jesus Christ. So your future is secure. Yes, miracles do occur, and Jesus demonstrated that, but this is still a world of suffering. Jesus is powerful, Jesus has authority, Jesus is compassionate, and Jesus brings the gospel. But what we have in Christ, we have through faith in Christ, and faith by definition is not sight. So, if you're struggling this morning, I'd like to encourage you to cheer up. And I don't say that superficially. And I don't say that without realizing that some of you are indeed really suffering. But there is a reality to our faith and there is a reality to the authority, the power, the lordship, and the compassion of Jesus Christ that can touch us and does touch us right now in the moment. And if at this particular time you're more conscious of the suffering than the glory, know that it is going to lead in that direction inevitably. The message here is that one day all disease will fall under the lordship of Jesus fully and finally. The message here is that death, the king of terrors, which awaits us all if Jesus tarries, is not the final word. It is an enemy, and it is the last enemy that will be overcome, but it will indeed be overcome. And how can we know that? Because Jesus himself, who committed no sin, died on a cross for our sins and then rose from the dead and some days later ascended to the right hand of the throne of God where he sits in session until that time that God the Father has determined for him to return. And when he does, all the dead in Christ will rise and those that are alive at his coming will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and all together we will join in the glorious kingdom of God fulfilled. A time is not yet, and we have work yet to do. And the scripture has been given to us to strengthen and encourage us while this present world continues as it is. And we are called together as a church to come together for mutual edification as we worship our Lord Jesus Christ and are encouraged by the words of Scripture. And one other thing that Jesus instituted before he left this earth was a supper, a sacrament. It reflects very clearly the gospel. The bread and the cup represent his body and his blood. And when, as we're going to do in a few moments, receive the Lord's Supper, it's a visual word. It's a sign and a seal of the faith that God has given us as a gift to connect us with our Lord Jesus. You haven't seen him. I haven't seen him. 
and yet we believe in him and we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory because Jesus is Lord, Jesus has authority, Jesus has power, and Jesus has compassion. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you once again for these reminders that you have sent Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has become incarnate and lived a holy life and died a sacrificial death and rose in a justifying resurrection and has ascended to send the Holy Spirit with power into our lives to indwell us, to encourage us, to give us renewed hope. And we are encouraged. We are edified. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the supper that we're about to enjoy. And Lord, as we continue to worship you, strengthen our hearts by grace. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.